This episode contains descriptions of medical abuse and neglect. If you are a survivor yourself, or if these topics have the potential to trigger you, please proceed with caution. Previously on Gooned. When everybody starts out, you're starting at the lowest level. It's called safety. You're within five feet of a staff member at all times. You have no shoes, you have no jacket. You have to sleep with somebody sitting next to your bed. You also couldn't talk to your parents while you're on safety. These programs strip children of their belongings, their contact with the outside world, their possessions, their hobbies, and their support network, turn their parents and caregivers against them, and then tell them that the way to earn these things back is compliance. It was humiliating to try and like meet the standards of a point card. It made me a little feral on the inside because um, you had to make a certain amount of points a day in order to have basic privileges, things like reading, listening to music, writing. There was also a lot of coals in the food because the fire would like crackle while we were cooking on it. And I would just take a bite never knowing like, if I was going to end up eating a coal. We had no like basic comforts there. And there was this attitude among the staff of if you wanted something that wasn't necessary to literally keep you physically alive, then you were a spoiled brat and you were being dramatic. What really shifted it for me was seeing all of my friends and all of my peers getting so many consequences and being punished severely and seeing that they weren't making any movement towards getting out. And I was like, I can't do that. Like, I need to get out. I can't be here. Today on Gooned. You're very rarely going to find a review ever written by a child that says, this helped me. Because you have to get beyond that point in growth in your life to really be able to look back and evaluate and say, yeah, that did help me. The wilderness is essentially like you're breaking down, you're digging down a basement that is the foundation of your house. It's a lot of dirty work. You're digging, digging holes in the ground, and um, it allows for that foundation to be poured in. My parents tricked me into meeting up to get lunch, and then my mom turned around, and she's like, we're taking you to wilderness. And... You know, that was just the beginning. Welcome back to Gooned, a podcast about the troubled teen industry. Even loving and well-meaning parents and caregivers reach the conclusion that the troubled teen industry is the answer for their child. The TTI and the professionals who recommend it prey on the desperation of families in crisis, swaying them with deceptive marketing tactics and claims much different than the realities of congregate care. I remember I was in a psych ward and my parents came to visit and they brought this glossy pamphlet. It was like girls riding horses. and You know, it was just like this big manner and I was super disturbed. Like, I just remember this feeling of absolute dread being like, fuck, no, like, I, I can't do this. I didn't know anything about it, but I just, I had this gut feeling like this is not right. KC is a trauma therapist who spent four years in and out of various types of treatment facilities, including wilderness therapy and residential treatment from the ages of 13 to 17. By the time KC's parents got in contact with an educational consultant, he had already been in and out of several short-term stays in psychiatric hospitals for depression. I had a lot of stuff going on at home. My mom had cancer, and there, there was just a lot going on. Um, just very dysfunctional, very, very, very angry household. And my brother was getting into all sorts of crime and things, and he was getting arrested. And I just, I don't know, I really got pushed under the rug. There wasn't much attention for me. 
in my family. And yeah, I remember in eighth grade, I went to a few like psych wards because I had really severe depression. Like Sharon, the parent we've heard from in previous episodes who sent her son Logan to wilderness therapy and then to a therapeutic boarding school, Casey's parents had begun to search for other options. They worried about the conditions and efficacy of a state hospital and thought their son needed a higher level of care. They were like, you can either put him in the state hospital or you can find your own facility. And my parents opted to find their own facility. The public school Casey was attending at the time referred his parents to an educational consultant who sold them on wilderness therapy. They trusted Casey's school and they trusted the professional to whom the school sent them. Why wouldn't they? When faced with their child in distress and thrust into the arms of people who seemed to know what they were doing, the pitch for wilderness therapy seemed ideal, or at least better than a state hospital. A school or psychologist referral creates an additional layer of trust. Not only is the parent talking to a professional, but also to someone recommended by another professional. Combine that with what the consultant says is their vast knowledge of the program, and it makes sense that a parent would trust what they're told. I think my parents found out about the one that I had through my public school. These people will sink their claws into the public schools or, you know, anywhere that they can. They're like vampires almost. They'll just find their prey and just suck and suck and suck. Enticed by the beautiful imagery and seemingly idyllic nature of the promotional materials their EdCon provided, Casey's parents went all in. My dad tricked me into meeting up with him to get lunch told me we're going to go get Chinese food. I was, okay, let's go get Chinese food. We keep driving. We're on the freeway. I'm like, where are we going? It's the middle of the night. And then my mom turned around and she's like, we're taking you to wilderness. And we just drove, you know, to Georgia. And uh, I didn't know where the hell we were. Like, I had no idea. And so then I went to wilderness That was just the beginning of a very, very, very long journey of being in the troubled teen industry. For Casey, this began a four-year-long period of being in and out of TTI facilities. He was sent to wilderness, and then, like Logan, he was sent right back to a therapeutic boarding school. Casey spent four years in and out of TTI placements, bouncing from treatment centers to therapeutic boarding schools to wilderness programs and back again. I was at Wilderness for six months. You know, I wasn't allowed to talk to my family freely, of course. Like, you know, the letters were screened and the phone calls were all with a therapist or someone. And we weren't allowed to talk poorly about it. When contact was cut off with his parents, Casey initially tried to tell them what he was going through. I was on a lot of medication at the time, Klonopin and Adderall. Like, my my parents just pumped me full of medication. I was just on so much medication at Wilderness. They made me go cold turkey. So I was super sick, you know, super sick for the first few days, just throwing up. And we had to just stay in the same place. So I was just in my sleeping bag for days. And it was very cold. You know, it was winter. I was just so depressed and so anxious. I kept trying to tell my parents, like I went on one overnight thing with my family for like my 14th birthday. And I just told them everything, broke down. But of course, the facility had told them I was going to manipulate them. Despite experiencing medical abuse and neglect, inhumane living conditions, and severe depression and anxiety, Casey could not convince anyone to help him. 
conditioned by the program to believe he was simply trying to manipulate his way out of a challenging situation, Casey's parents refused to bring him home. You know, then I was there for a while, just hopeless. And then I got a call while I was in class and my parents were coming to pick me up. And it was like every kid's dream. Oh my gosh, I'm getting pulled out of here. Finally, he thought he had gotten through to them. And my mom had said that she had contacted a teacher who used to work there and was asking this teacher about the place. And the teacher said, you know, I have an NDA. I'm not allowed to disclose anything. A former staff member at Casey's first placement had spooked his mom. Staff at TTI facilities often sign non-disclosure agreements, which renders them unable to talk about their experiences or the conditions under which their students live. But the teacher urged and hinted that Casey's pleas for help were more than just an exaggeration. That's all I'm going to say, is listen to your child. Like, your child's telling the truth. And my mom, I guess she took that seriously. So they pulled me out, but then they put me right back in to another place. And I was there for a year. And then my parents pulled me out of that. I'm naturally an extroverted, very open person. And I turned into an extremely introverted, silent person. I I felt like I couldn't talk. I just couldn't even speak. You know, I was so traumatized. It was almost like selective mutism. Um, And I just smoked a ton of weed. And yeah, I was just kind of like getting into trouble. I just, I was so depressed. And then I ran away because things were just so, so awful. And then (laughs) instead of letting me go home, they decided to put me in uh, Montana. They thought, oh, maybe if we put him very far away from North Carolina in Montana, oh, I don't know, maybe something will happen and he'll be cured. So I was there for a long time, for almost a year and a half. By that time, I was 17 and I actually graduated from that program. After four years, three programs, and constant re-traumatization, Casey finally returned home. Why was it that Casey's parents, who wanted to help their struggling teenager, were so sure that the troubled teen industry was the answer? So sure that, despite his experiences of abuse and neglect, they continued to place and replace him in congregate care. Looking out over the bridge and the silhouette of the hills beyond it, it's just, it never gets old. Students who are struggling to be successful can find a home. And what our kids all have in common is that they're not just struggling with A, B, or C. They're kind of D, all of the above, um, our kitchen sink kiddos. And when everyone is focused on... TTI facilities are masters at marketing. Their target audience of desperate and scared or abusive and uncaring parents is rife with potential for exploitation. Search the name of any given program online and you will land on a well-designed website with beautiful photographs of idyllic scenery, clean and expansive facilities, and smiling children. Taglines like a safe space for emotional growth or a remarkable healing experience, a pathway to success for struggling students, overlay the scenic imagery and promising grins of healthy and happy-looking kids. Video and audio testimonials from current and former students laud the program's effectiveness, and teary-eyed parents call it the best thing that ever happened to their family. It's easy enough to request promotional materials, which are those glossy pamphlets Casey remembers being shown in the psych ward. 
Couple this glowing praise with a recommendation from an educational consultant who seems like a reputable professional, and many parents are already sold. Some more thorough or skeptical parents may investigate online reviews, but survivors find that their one-star reviews and reports of the abuse they suffered mysteriously disappear from school's Google listings within days. And it's worth noting that many of the positive reviews for TTI programs are written in batches on the same day or within the same week by accounts with no other reviews and no verification. Some of the profile photos on those accounts are stolen from other people's social media profiles, which indicates that facilities may be faking positive reviews to sway their star rating on search engines and websites. Which isn't to say that poor reviews or bad press about some facilities is hard to come by. Especially in recent years, more cases of death and abuse in TTI programs have made it to the mainstream media, getting a few minutes on the local news or a write-up in the paper. And if you know where to look, it doesn't take much digging to find survivor forums and communities detailing disturbing treatment. When you just do a search on wilderness therapy and you just Google that, it's scary as anything. You're like, why? Who in the world would send their child there? That sounds awful. Sharon was one of the more thorough parents who found some of these disturbing articles and negative reviews. When I asked why these findings didn't stop her from sending Logan away, I saw just how effective facilities marketing tactics can be to even the most well-meaning parents. There are big, scary stories out in the news about things that have happened in programs, and I'm not discounting those, and it's horrible stuff that has happened to people out there. At the same time, that doesn't discount the incredible growth journey that so many kids and families have been able to have through those programs. You have to filter through. Because when you have reviews on a place, you've got reviews that are written by parents that feel that they were helped and that their child was helped. You have reviews that are written by kids who went through the program who think it was the worst thing ever. Sharon did see these negative reviews, but any voice that may have popped up in her head warning that something wasn't right was quickly squashed by her educational consultant, program representatives, and what positive testimony she could find. So yes, we were kind of looking from her recommendations and then also going through and looking at every bit of information that we could find through the regular Google sources and LinkedIn profiles and the different kind of accreditation services out there just trying to get that whole picture on a program. And then at some point, it's kind of a little bit of a leap of faith of, okay, we've kind of chosen a program. We're going to try this and pray over it that our child will be protected and we'll have the best health and care possible. To Sharon, survivors who wrote about their abuse were just disgruntled teenagers, bitter that they had to go through something difficult. After all, they were, by definition, troubled teens, probably mentally ill, addicted to substances, defiant, poorly behaved. Eventually, she reasoned, they would grow out of it and realize that the program really did set them straight. You're very rarely going to find a review ever written by a child that says, this helped me. Mainly because, one, you have to get beyond that point in growth in your life to really be able to look back and evaluate and say, yeah, that did help me. When you get to that point, you're probably not going to go and write a review about it (laughs) because then you're putting your name out there in the interwebs um, saying, yeah, I had to go to this program. So it's you tend 
to naturally gather more negativity. But for the dozens of survivors I talked to and many more, it was actually the opposite. The more time and emotional distance they put between themselves and their time in the TTI, the more they realized the negative effects of their experience. For many, some traumas are still being uncovered years, even decades later. I left and came home and then I, you know, left home at 17 and it's been really rough. It's been really rough. Um, I've done a lot of work on on the trauma and um, I don't know, it changes you a lot. And yeah, I don't know. It, It really does. It just changes you completely. I didn't go to doctors. I didn't go to therapists for a long time. You know, I I struggled on my own for a very long time with addiction and mental health. And I was in a really, really dark place. I guess, yeah, I've healed from from it um, significantly, but like I still get really triggered. I definitely have a lot of trauma from it, but, you know, I don't have as many nightmares as I did before. Jamie, a survivor of wilderness therapy, a residential treatment facility, and a therapeutic boarding school, who we heard from in episode three, was also referred to their facility by an educational consultant. I think the child psychologist I had seen recommended them to an educational consultant, and that was like a very expensive educational consultant, promoted as one of the best ones, definitely one of the most expensive ones. She kind of pointed them towards certain facilities. The consultant seemed reputable, or at the very least, priced their services as such, and enticed Jamie's parents with the school's seemingly beautiful grounds. It's kind of this introduction of like, oh, this place is just so nice. And look at all the nice rooms and like the well-manicured lawn. Jamie was sent to wilderness and then to a residential treatment facility and then therapeutic boarding school, which were recommended to their parents by this consultant. After graduating, Jamie reached out to that same consultant, wondering if she knew of the abuses that Jamie and countless others had suffered at either program. I did get in contact with her a few years ago, and I did find out that she had no idea of any long-term outcomes for any of the facilities that she was recommending to people. Sometimes even the most expensive and widely referred consultants don't have the knowledge or expertise with the programs that they claim. And though some consultants do visit the facilities they recommend, what they see is likely not the full picture. From my experience from when I was like at facilities, there would be certain days where they're like, oh, an educational consultant is coming to tour today. You have to be on your best behavior or you'll be punished. You would have to talk up the centers to the educational consultants. Other survivors I talked to who were able to reconnect with their consultants after leaving their facilities said that these consultants claimed to be unaware of the abuses or the effects of the programs, even if they had recommended them to multiple clients. I don't know. They'll just do it. They'll just do it ask forgiveness later. Just do it now. They don't really understand a lot of the times what they're doing. They're just interested in in making those kickbacks. I mean, why else, you know, would they be doing it? Those positive reviews and student testimonies that swayed Sharon towards sending Logan away may well have been a product of this type of coerced deceit. I remember feeling really pressured to say good things about the facilities and that affected like how much longer I would be at the places depending on how I was talking about them. 
Logan is still at his secondary placement, the therapeutic boarding school, a 13-hour drive from home. And Sharon says she sees progress. He's really enjoying it there. Uh, He's blossoming, kind of all smiles, which is good. He has his struggles. He's got his little defiance (laughs) in him, but he's engaging in schoolwork. He's reading. He's writing. He actually wrote us a letter. So stuff like that, you know, not have happened at all end of last year, beginning of this year. She's not wrong. On the website for Logan's program, kids are indeed all smiles. Smiling on horses, smiling with guitars, smiling in a river. But it's hard not to be skeptical that behind those smiles, there may be a darker side. In episode one, I called educational consultants posing as a mother named Nancy, whose teenage daughter Ella was struggling with depression. The consultants touted several troubled teen industry programs that would supposedly address her struggles. So I called around to some of those programs, requesting their promotional materials and asking them about the process of enrolling Ella. When I would bring up online reviews or negative press, there was always a response ready, a response that would put any parent at ease. Well, my background prior to being here was in wilderness. And I can understand being on Google and looking up wilderness can be pretty intense. You know, there's a lot of unbelievable programs that are out there that exist. This representative for a program in Utah was quick to quell Nancy's concerns. As I'm sure you're aware, you know, just kind of having the internet yeah. to go off of, it's hard to know where to start with what type of program. Wilderness can be extreme. However, it is extreme, but it's also extremely useful. Um, mainly because of the level of intervention it is, is an unbelievable period of assessment. Where when you remove a kiddo outside of the environment, put them in a place where, someplace where everything's brand new, you get to see a lot of behaviors at its very core, and we understand what the struggle is. Now, we, what we get to do here is kind of really hammer that down. I told him that I wasn't sure if my daughter was cut out for wilderness survival, that I wanted to make sure she wasn't made more scared or more depressed by what seemed like a pretty intense program. Wilderness is essentially like you're breaking down, you're digging down a basement that is the foundation of your house. It's a lot of dirty work. You're, you're digging, digging holes in the ground, but it allows for that foundation to be poured in, in which that, you know, kiddo can then build the rest of their life around. It is, it is an intense experience, but, you know, it's a lot better than what it used to be. It's like a summer camp. You know, I would definitely recommend that you give, uh, you know, just at least t- check them out. I'm not kind of messaging. As he explained the benefits of wilderness, and as he went on to explain the necessity of a secondary placement afterwards, I understood how a parent struggling to understand their teenager, a parent with the best interest of their child at heart, could hear this recommendation from someone they have no reason not to trust and think that it's the best thing to do. These programs and the consultants they worked with touted congregate care as the answer to Ella's problems, as a cure-all to our strained relationship her slipping grades, and her depression. And honestly, if I were really Nancy, if I were really at a loss for how to help my daughter, I could fall right into that trap. So much of it is really subtle, but because of the subtlety that ends up happening, there's a lot of gaslighting around 
all of it. So it gets really hard to see what's actually happening. Then like little by little, it's like, oh, you can't say these things. Oh, you're being monitored all the time. Oh, you're getting in trouble for these weird little basic human mistakes. And suddenly you don't have any basic human rights for the next day. I asked KC, who now works in private practice as a trauma therapist with survivors of the troubled teen industry and cultic abuse, what he would say to a parent who is considering sending their child away. I would say that if you do send your child away, it will do more harm than good. Your kid is a teenager right now. Their brain is forming. They aren't able to emotionally regulate like you are as an adult. And so just really educate yourself on on child development and realize that the family is impacting your kid, whether you know it or not. Really look at yourself, really examine yourself and what your kid needs and listen to your kid, believe your kid. Don't buy into the program's ideology of like your child is a manipulative teenager and will say anything to get what they want. KC and every single other survivor to whom I ask this question emphasize that even in the best-case scenario, even if the facility a child is sent to does not physically abuse them, even if it's one of the, quote, better programs out there, the very fact of being sent away is traumatic. It's traumatic for a kid to be sent away in general, even if it is a good place. It's really bad to be separated from your family. And it causes a lot of trauma. So even if you find the best facility in the world, make it brief, you know, make it as brief as possible. Like really look at community-based interventions. Above all, Casey recommends that parents investigate outpatient community-based options that keep a child close to their family, friends, school, and support system. And be wary of the motives of consultants really look at like their intention you know why is this person trying to get me to send my kid away and why this specific place that's the big question i think with a lot of this is like if not the troubled teen industry then what else these places are not evidence-based there's literally zero evidence that they help and there is a ton of evidence that they hurt I mean, obviously, there's the aspect of, like, if you send your kid to the troubled teen industry, they're probably going to be getting abused and severely traumatized, and they might come out literally alive. And that is a might, because several kids have died in the industry. If they come out physically alive, they're going to have likely more issues. If you are intelligent or caring, you will see that they don't work. So why send your kid there? I think something a lot of parents don't do is really look at themselves and see like how they can really help their kid, even if that involves humility, recognizing where they are wrong, recognizing what they don't know. They need to be able to really look at themselves and really look at what's best for their kid. Why spend all that money? Why traumatize your kid for something that doesn't even work? Most kids in the TTI are there against their will, sent away by adults and trapped by virtue of being a minor. Very rarely does a child ask to be sent away, but it does happen. In exceptionally rare cases, kids go into the TTI of their own volition, whether to get themselves help, escape their family life, or because they, too, were duped. Next time on Gooned. I've got a slightly different 
story as far as how I went in. I actually asked my parents to put me into it. I was 15 years old and I had the awareness to know that I was heading down a path that was going to lead to very, very bad stuff. He's got his hair cut short, parted on the side. He had some like polo shirt on and he's smiling and I'm like, what the hell? She sat there and kept talking to my mom as so I'm looking at this picture and couldn't believe it. It scared me, intrigued me. Then I asked, I literally asked my parents to put me in the rehab that Danny was in. Thank you for listening to this episode of Gooned. To hear the full call between Nancy and the program representative, head to patreon.com slash goondpodcast. Follow the link in the show description to read Casey's article, My Time Spent in the Troubled Teen Industry, an account of his experiences in various facilities and the effect that they have had on him to this day. Remember to rate, review, and follow Gooned wherever you listen to podcasts, and check out goondpodcast.com for more information. Gooned is researched, reported, and edited by me, Emma Lehman. Original music for the show was created by Olivia Springberg. Original artwork was created by Sam Doe. Sarah Lukowski and Avery Erskine copy-edited and consulted on the show. Thank you to all the amazing survivors, activists, researchers, former staff, families, experts, and everyone else who lent their stories to this podcast, both anonymous and otherwise.